Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckadelics? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. It's an institution. I just added that, like a tag. It's an institution. My podcast, WTF. It's an institution. I don't know what it is. It's been going on a while. Man, 800 episodes just a couple of episodes ago. 2009. I can't believe it. Big show today. Big show. It's actually, it's almost a doubleheader, I would say. Uh, I have uh, W. Kamau Bell on, and he came in to sort of talk about his new book, but it ended up being a nice long interview about a lot of of relevant stuff. And, you know, he's been on before, so we usually do the short promo interviews if uh, people want to stop by that are friends of the show. But it just ended up being good, so it's almost a full interview. And after that, Amanda Pete is here from her new uh, project, Brockmire. And I always liked Amanda Pete. I always liked her when she was mean in things. And then she did that funny thing with the Duplasses. What was that called again? Togetherness, it was called. I just remembered that with the help of hitting stop and Googling it and going to her Wikipedia page. I don't do, uh, I don't do Facebook hardly at all. Uh, I've pulled away from Twitter because I think it infringes and annihilates our capacity to process as opposed to just react either anonymously or with a silly name or with a series of numbers or a combination of them. No process. You got to process. You got to source. You got to weigh and balance and think things through. Don't just like, ah, here's, here's some stuff. Oh, God, fuck it. Here, here, take a little of this. Oh, no, bad. Oh, here's some of that. Oh, I mean, that's good. But, you know, those reactions aren't necessarily bad reactions, but, but let them sink in. Where did it come from? Why are you feeling the way you are? What does it mean? And how does it help you or others? There is an interesting question. How about that one? How does it help me or others? Maybe both at the same time. Huh? How does it? Before I forget... Uh, There are some uh, tickets for some of my shows coming up. I'm in Portland, Oregon at the Aladdin uh, tomorrow and Saturday. We added a second show Saturday. There are a few tickets left. On April 27th at the Pabst Theater in Milwaukee, there are a few tickets left. At the Orpheum in Madison, Wisconsin, I believe there are a few tickets left. 
That's on April 28th. April 29th, two shows at the Pantages. I'll be shooting a Netflix special that uh, I think I'm ready for. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm not as freaked out as I usually am, which I don't know is, is if that's good. I have a full beard for a thing, but now it's going to be also for my special, I guess. And my hair is really long, and I've gotten to that point where I'm afraid to cut it because I don't know if it'll look stupid or not, and the woman that cuts my hair is working on a movie. So I'm going to be hairy and pretty ready for my Netflix taping in Minneapolis. The Merriam Theater in Philly on May 27th and the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. on May 13th. And also, folks, listen to me. Listen to me. This is general. This is a general advice. When you go to buy tickets to an event, don't just Google the name of the person or the thing you want to see and tickets because you will be taken immediately to a scalper site. Go to the venue site and get linked through the appropriate ticket sale mechanism. I get a lot of emails from people saying to me like, hey man, $2,000 for tickets to your show in Portland's a little crazy. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Go to the venue site Get the appropriate link for tickets. Don't be duped by scalpers and think that that's what I'm pricing my shows at. Come on, man. I'm a $30 to $40 ticket, folks. All right? And I and I try, try to keep it that way. Okay? You know, when I talk about, like, my tour or whatever, my day-to-day or, you know, the, the, the process of... Um, our country slowly swirling down a sewer grate, uh, you know, on some days. <laughs> Depends the level of panic. But but it, it makes me realize, like, you know, when I say it's my last tour or whatever, I think what I might need is a little time off, a little time to have a life other than just touring and doing this. You know, how many times, and I don't do it very often, I mean, what, what have I been doing lately? Uh... Well, we went out to dinner with another couple the other night for the second time in three years. I just work and work and work. And it, it becomes very small. I need to get out. I need to, I need to do some adventuring or, or at the very least, some, just some fun stuff, something. You know what I mean? Need a break. Is that, is that wrong? These are luxury problems. Whatever. I got new boots and I'm good. Seriously, I am fucking good, and I'm I'm back in the boots because I love Jules Weather from Vancouver. What I, I told you about them, they fucking rushed them and they sent them, and they put so much love and attention into these fucking Chelsea boots they sent me. Like you get a box of fresh boots with that fresh weather smell, and they send it with a little shoehorn and some boot cream, and I took them out of the box, and I'm like, oh my god. Do I want to have them mounted or do I want to put them on my feet? And they measured my feet precisely and they were into making these boots and they sent them and holy shit, they're, they're so good. They're so like, they're so good. And I, you know, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve this treatment, but I'll take it. I, w- I would have bought the boots, but I'll take them. I, ju- I don't guess I should sleep in them, which I did last night, but you know, that's the nature of new boots. Sometimes it's the little things on your feet that make life good. So W. Kamau Bell uh, is somebody that I've known a long time and that I knew in San Francisco when he was a, just a youngster doing the comedy at the beginning of things. I was an oldster uh, enjoying his, uh, his work. 
and his friendship. And we've had a, you know, we don't talk to each other a lot, but uh, after talking to him today, I realized that we're, we're kind of uh, important to each other and it made me happy. He's got a new book coming out, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell. Uh, that That's actually out on the 2nd of May. Uh, his Emmy-nominated CNN show, United Shades of America, is launching its second season on April 30th. And he and uh, Hari Kondabolu, who I haven't talked to in a while, just relaunched their popular podcast, Politically Reactive. And he's here. He stopped by, and it was great to see him. And I like to, I like to talk about, you know, real stuff, stuff that requires engagement, processing, thoughtful interaction, challenge, that kind of stuff, human stuff. That talking about things that impact all our lives, things that seem to be tricky for some people to talk about. I'm always happy to uh, to have those conversations, and this ended up being one of them. Uh, so this is me and uh, Kamal Bell. Talk- Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Fucking. So, Kamau, it's yes. been a while. It has been a while. Last time I was here, I was super. Uh, I had just gone through a hard thing, and so when I came here, I was not. A a hard thing. Of my, I yeah. don't remember. Oh, oh, that's right. Was it the show? The show hadn't been canceled, but I had just had a meeting with. <laughs> it the, with wasn't FX. looking good. Yeah, with FX, where it was like I thought we were gonna. It was the between the first and the second season. Yeah, and I went to FX. I thought we were gonna like celebrate the success of the first season. Yeah, but it was like it was to indict me for the lack of things for the first like there was like a really like it was like i had called myself into the principal's office so well, i showed up here like ah. well the thing is is like you know i i felt bad about it that that show didn't find its footing and that you were having a hard time finding your footing and i i i, I was hoping the best <laughs> I, I yeah you i could tell you were like i get you had a feeling of like well, good luck with that <laughs> well yeah but no it's like it's a hard thing you know yeah. to be you know to be given a big opportunity and to to honor yourself but you know not you know quite find your footing in that yeah. particular format and you know i knew you just had a kid and i knew you were a good guy and a smart guy and your heart was in the right place and you know for about an hour i felt bad and i was <laughs> yeah no you it was clear i was like that was, i thought I, I sort of had this idea i'm going to la i'll meet with fx i'll go do mark's show it's gonna be and i was like oh it's really about how it's not working out but w- what what did shift in outside of just the immediate responsibility of Having kids, you know, not sleeping on the floor and eating cat food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, f- I, I, I think the failure of Totally Biased really sort of challenged me. Because I thought when that got canceled, I was like, I think my career might be over. I legitimately thought it's done. 
and then sort of trying to figure out if we were going to stay in New York. The big shift was like moving back to the Bay Area. Right. And sort of choosing to go, okay, whatever career I'm going to have in show business, I'm going to have to do it from the Bay Area because I can't, I'm not moving to LA. I can't live in New York. My wife was pregnant with our second kid. We're not doing this here. Yeah. So it was like making a choice to sort of really choose my family and my life over showbiz and letting showbiz fit around that. And then, and then like how did the, the, the current show evolve? I mean, like how long of a time was it? Because like I, I also was in the, the 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 um the position of you know people would project personality onto you yeah. like you know what they do is they hedge you in it's like oh you're the edgy black guy you're the smart <laughs> black guy yeah, yeah, with yeah. me it's like he's the cranky angry Jew yeah but really what they didn't know is sort of like I'm not making a choice about this <laughs> exactly this is not a, this is not a persona <laughs> yeah, yeah. no when I'm at CNN it's funny to be around the anchors like they like they are putting they're playing characters a lot of them and they have a persona and I feel broadcasters like, I, yeah broadcast there's they're all do, and I mean. They do it well. Like some of them are very natural at it, but it's funny to be like, I don't really have that. I'm still trying to figure out what my character is when I sit in those places. Well, that's the thing is like, and I think what happened with the new show is that um, you uh, you were able to by engaging with other people and and you know and getting out in the world, like people like you and I, and I, I will draw that comparison because you know my success came from conversations. Mm-hmm. Is that you know that's what we're about. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're funny comics, but, you know, as thinkers and as people that make sense of things, if we're engaging, uh, it, it's better for everybody. <laughs> That's true. I don't, yes, I should not be looking into a camera telling you about the news, as I learned, and I'll, and I'll never be doing that again. Uh, yeah, for me, it was like the show came out of, I was, after the Totally Bias got canceled, I was, you know, I thought my crew was over, and, but yeah. then my manager and agent were like, people want to take some meetings with you, and they were all sort of news outlets, which yeah. I was surprised by, and... CNN had been pitched an idea for a show at that point called Black Man White America. Yeah, uh, for a black guy going around America to white places. That seems uh, like a sort of a separatist title. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. It is. And I was like, I would. Is it the 1990s? Am I on MTV? Uh, so I was like, I, I don't want to do that. So I said I would want to go to lots of places other white places. Right. But the pilot was really what brought it home. Was the pilot was with the Ku Klux Klan, which for I'm, the United Shades of America. Yeah, for United Shades of America. Like we changed it. They changed the title to United Shades of America. And we shot the pilot, and I sort of was like, okay, I'm going to move back to Berkeley. I'm going to go, and I had another choice to get a job, like a sort of a day job-ish yeah. thing, and I was like, but it would have kept me in New York, and I was like, okay, even though that would have paid more at the moment, I, I have to go all in on this pilot, because yeah. I will be able to live in the Bay Area, so I did. Well, and it worked out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it has worked out far better than anything else in my career, and it, and it feels like a thing that if, it, if second season goes, I think we'll be here for a minute. And, so. it's, uh, and, and do you find that you, you, you're getting an audience? We are getting an audience. I have the youngest audience on CNN, which is 67. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I do, I draw on an audience to CNN who isn't normally watching CNN, and I think it's great Oh, they for love me. that. It's great for me to be at CNN because I'm not really competing against other shows. or uh, There's not other a bunch of shows there. It's me, Bourdain, Lisa Ling. There's like a handful of people. Well, I, I, I find that... Um these kind of uh, that you know, if it's at what what you're doing is you know field work, but also the sort of town hall format, uh, in in is an appropriate use of of media and and necessary because what I was going to tell you in the kitchen, uh, you know, because I try to wrap my brain around this that you know the polarization now is so extreme that you know people you and I know who who may or may who are are, are you know coworkers and friends who we've known you know, all our lives or, or known a long time or Republicans or think differently than us, 
you know, there's even in those kind of dynamics, yeah. there's a, a reluctance to talk about it, a, a hostility that wasn't there before, and, in, and an empowered uh, narrow-mindedness that I, I don't think is necessarily uh, the real spirit of those people. No, I think Trump has brought something out of a lot of people, if we can name names. And, you know, there are there are comics that I knew that I'm, I guess I'm friends with. Sure. I still, I don't know, where it's like, you see, and it's really about, a lot of times it's the social media stuff you see from people. Where right. Like, that's, you're that guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're saying that? But we've had conversations, you know, so... It's really brought a side out of people and emboldened some people who I think had some ideas that they weren't sharing before. The other uh, group of people that you know, I think we're talking about in terms of people we know are there. There are a, a tremendous amount of people that, even given the the situation today, are, are relatively detached from day to day, you know, political goings on. Mm-hmm. That once the election is over, they're like, "All right, well, that's done. Mm-hmm. My guy won," mm-hmm. and and they're you know living their lives and checking into the news, and whether it's propaganda news or not propaganda news, that you know goes on both sides. But the other side has a very strong propaganda presence. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. But uh, but you know those are you know I think mostly the people we're talking about, and some of the stuff outside of the you know, your life trajectory in the book. That you know is your mission in life is how to bring people together and how do we you know you know transcend these awkward moments into proactive moments. Yeah, and how and how do we not think that? I mean, the book is called (laughs) "The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell." (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So what 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 was the incentive like as a framework for that when you started writing the book? Where does that go back to for you? For me, learning that the feeling of I, I on some level as an only child who moved around the country a lot. Who was like a who was like uh, a tall black dude who didn't know how to play basketball? I felt awkward all my life. Like right. I've always felt a little bit like out. Who didn't listen to hip hop? Who didn't you know? I felt awkward as a sense. You didn't my whole, play along. I didn't. I just. I just didn't. I didn't even know I was supposed to play along. I thought <laughs> I was an only child in my bedroom watching late night comedy. Like yeah. I was like, this is what we do, right? This is yeah. what black people do. They stay up late and watch Saturday Night Live. <laughs> uh, and so I've always felt awkward. And I think we're taught to sort of run away from that feeling. And I think there's nothing more profound than sitting in awkwardness and moving through it. Thank God. It's, it's my life's journey. <laughs> exactly. Again, learning from the best. Uh, <laughs> and so for me, the book is about moments in my life where that awkward, moving through that awkwardness has led me to what I think to better decisions and to sort of go and not to just sit and go, I guess this is just what it is. I mean, even the conversation with you in the book is about me going like, there's a version of me that would have been like, I guess I just stay where I'm at with this thing, even though it doesn't feel right. And right. This was like, and it was awkward to call you because I was like, I don't even know if I know him like this. Of course you, you do. Know. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. And you answered and we talked and that's what I talk about in the book, like moving through that moment of like, instead of just going, I don't know him like that. And this, this thing is probably going to work out better. Got me to a better place in my life and career. So, well, yeah, but that awkwardness is weird because, you know, I have it too, but I track it to, you know, it's also the, the, it, it it's I don't know what your relationship with your father was. I imagine it's in the book, <laughs> but but you know the detachment emotionally. Yeah. yeah, what you know really set me. It made me uncomfortable because it, it disabled my ability to really have a complete sense of self. Yeah. So with that craving and with that need, you know my need to connect mm-hmm. to to relieve that awkwardness and to almost at, at different times in my life to almost. Uh, become different people mm-hmm. or to use other people to define me. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, 
that evolved into what I do, you know, in a good way. But for a lot of time, like looking back on it, I don't have a lot of regrets, but it was not that I was not in the best place. Well, and for me, I think that I sort of, I mean, I'm actually, my dad was like, when are you going to send me the book? I'm like, maybe never. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, I talk about my dad in good ways in the book, but there's also some painful stuff that like, this is the hard part about writing some things that are memoir-ish is that you go, this is not my story to tell, but I need to tell a version of it, so I have to figure out which version I'm going to tell. There's that moment where you're like, well, this is my life yeah. as well, yeah. and I felt like I was pretty realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think some of it might have been unnecessary, Yes, but I, 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 I refuse to admit that it was spiteful. <laughs> well, that's I was trying to avoid the unnecessary part because I, like, I think we're in a different relationship with our dads at this yeah. point. I have two kids. I want my kids to know my dad. I, yeah. Me and my dad actually have a better relationship now. Our relationship gets better the older I get. Like A lot of the book is about how I didn't grow up with my dad around, but he was in my life, but he wasn't like a... So I was like constantly on a search for surrogate fathers, too. That's like, it. Yeah. So it's well, like, that's it. And, and a lot of them came through comedy and through other media sources. And, you know, so... Well, yeah, that's weird. In comedy, you get the surrogate father, you get the uh, the sort of kindred spirit, yeah. and then you get the, the sort of trying relationship with the crowd yes exactly it's all covered it's all covered yeah you get to reenact your family dysfunction through your career yeah, every night on stage that's right. two shows friday two shows yeah, saturday drag people through it yeah and so for me like i think that's the part about the book that's hard is when i talk about how like i felt like there's times where my dad wasn't there for me or didn't really understand me yeah. you know and and on some level like i said the older i get the better it gets and also having kids will help smooth over a lot of the sins like so if my dad doesn't like the book i'll just take my kids out there for vacation so what you know as you evolve through the childhood thing what is the journey as you know kamal the adult with children yeah. you know a public profile yeah. that uh is uh provocative and and you know not confrontational but proactive mm-hmm. i mean what 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 did you find going through your life uh it, how did your agenda reveal itself I mean, for me, a lot of it, a lot of the book, uh, uh, Chris Rock used to say, I sort of, I would rep the Bay Area harder than rappers rep Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Like the Bay Area is a big thing for me. Right. That's why I think I moved back there. Like I've through the Bay Area, not even the Bay Area comedy scene, but people I've met in the Bay Area, like people help broaden my perspective. And there's a section of the book where I talk about one of my best friends. Well, it was built for that. that yeah, yeah. yeah that was, that, that's why the Bay Area was invented. I don't know if it's doing that anymore, but right. I think it was certainly, that's what it was there for. And I think yeah. the Bay Area has to fight to get that back. And I talk about that in the book too. That, you know, for me, it was like sort of finding yourself in rooms where you're like, what is that person doing? Who is that? What? I don't. uh, uh," And then sort of sitting in there and sort of talking to people that helped broaden my perspective in a way and also helped me lead my down the path of like, okay, I'm not going to I'm not going to make it in show business by going to the punchline and doing seven minutes every Sunday night. Right. Like that's not and I'm not going to make it by moving to L.A. I just knew that wasn't going to happen in New York. So for me, it was like the freedom to sort of pursue my own path. And then therefore that when Totally Bias got canceled. There was a it was a gut check. I got two. I got a kid and a kid on the way. I'm living in an apartment that costs seven thousand dollars a month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, like uh, I don't know how to I don't know how to do this. But I guess I should stay in New York. Yeah. But really, sort of going like trusting that like that what I had learned in the Bay Area is if I pursued my own path, it was going to work out to some level. I didn't know what was going to work out, but really trusting that what I had learned in the Bay Area is like no, just do your own thing, man. Yeah. Do your own thing. And then you went back there. Well, you know the history of that place intellectually and on a. Uh, civil rights, uh, sort the the big thinkers yeah. of of social justice, you know, uh, yeah, the sort of, there was a the environment from even you know before the sixties, yeah, you know, was a a a a sort of like embracing weirdness 
and controversy and progress. Yeah, and I moved there because I've read, I've read books about the Bay Area from the comedy scene perspective. That that's where a lot of comics went to find their voice, or a lot of comics sort of. That's why I went up. there. Yeah, I, th- I was like, I talk about that too, like the idea that, like, you know, whether it's like, you know, that's where Lenny Bruce gets arrested. That's where, uh, you know, there's Robin. There's, well, I like, think there was like I the one thing Richard that Pryor I prior in Berkeley. Right when he went through his thing, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> he started doing thing. experimental theater, yeah, hanging yeah. out with the Panthers, exactly. So the the one thing I knew is that it was very, it, it was not confined to punchlines. That mm-hmm. you know there was this sort of like take it out there, yeah. You know what I mean? Go yes. ahead, push it, yeah. Take it out there. And, but I know. think it's probably it was probably it's probably only gotten back to that now. When I got there in '97. Things that sort of the boom had died. There weren't a lot of the alt rooms weren't really there, and it really was like it's funny. We would sit in the back of the punchline on a Sunday night and be like, "What makes this different than you know, like <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like Dayton, Ohio on some nights?" You know what I mean? And so I think that now the bear I think has come back around. But for me, it was like I had to leave the clubs to sort of find that thing you talked about. Is like take it out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I saw that show, the first one man show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw it in Oakland. Yes, right. That's right. You well, Berkeley, it's Ber- the border, but yes, right. Okay. And I think Berkeley. your mom's was there. Yeah, I that's met right. your mom. Yeah, yeah. No, I was very. That was a very big night for me when you came out. Like yeah. I was like, I gotta do this thing. It was I, great. Yeah, like I mean, like I said, I don't know. We haven't talked about this a lot, but like I've been, I've been a fan of yours since way before I knew you. Well, I think we're very, we're very similar in our approach to to stand up and to thinking in a lot yeah. of ways. You know that you, you know we, you know the journey has been to find ourselves, not to get away from it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's that on some level. I was like, if I find myself, but I'm not funny, well, that's just going to be what it is. But well, yeah. Believe yeah, me, I'm yeah. in my garage. Yeah. <laughs> Like exactly. it, it, it sort of came to that sort of like I got more to offer yeah. than me got wrestling over jarring jokes and you yeah. know poetic turns of phrase. Yes, and uh, you know this is where I found it, and I did a couple one man shows, but like, yeah. but the problem is, is that you're always sort of judging yourself against the success of other ones. Yes, it's like, and then you realize like, well, those ones are like, it's too cute. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's like, yeah. and there's no because the thing about awkward moments is people like you and I is that it's always going to be awkward. <laughs> Yes, yes. That yes. like you know just the fact that you know we're 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 painfully you know, uh, trying to be present yeah. because whether we know it or not, that was our journey. Mm-hmm. So like what I say, you know, in general is that I'm, I'm not, you know, everyone's idea of a night out. Yeah. No, and, I, yes. I've always respected that too. I'm not, <laughs> just not for everybody. And, and well, it took me a while to get there, yeah. but the, generally the people that succeed in a big way are most people's idea of entertainment. Yeah. I and mean, I, I, yeah. I, I write in the book about that. Like, it's weird to me that me and Kevin Hart have the same job description. <laughs> like, well, yeah, like, you know, it, and he's great, but it's just like that we're sort of like both this thing called comedian. You well, know? yeah. And, and, and that's like, that, that, that is the sort of strange difference is that I don't know that I ever set out to be an entertainer. I think that I saw stand up as some, you know, kind of like, uh, it, it was like, if you, you could do whatever you want up there, mm-hmm. as long as you learn what your territory is and who you are up there. Mm-hmm. And it was somehow uh, the platform to find my truth, mm-hmm. you yes. know, as a creative person. What yeah. am I going to do? Am I going to write poetry? Am I going to take pictures? Am I going to make a painting? Am I going to write a movie? No, because that stuff it takes time. And it involves well, yeah. lots of other people. Yeah, and, and you, like, you got to work for months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's you a, don't get immediate response. Exactly. I can write a thing down right now and go up tonight and go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked today. <laughs> I put it as a good, I got one joke out of this. Yeah. I mean, I feel, this, I feel the same way that like, I'm doing a lot of things now where 
where I'm like the book. I mean, even the book that I wrote required a lot of people, like an editor and a literary. But did you agent grow and, at this age though? Like I found at some point I was sort of like, this is all right. I yeah. like working with people, and especially yeah. people I respect. And you know, when you get into bigger ensembles, but either as an actor or as a you know in a production capacity, you're like, this is awesome. Well, I think that's a key thing: people you respect. And I, in the book, I talk about this. The part of the problem with Totally Bias was that there was there were ghosts in the machine and people that I was like, you're, we're not doing the same thing, right? And even with the first season of United Shades, we we changed the the a lot of the production staff because I was like, these people aren't doing the thing I want. So I I've learned now that if I can't. I have to be prepared to walk away if it's not the right situation, and that that in sort of right. You, you get yeah. to a certain point where you're like, you got to say no, and yeah. if you do it properly, yeah, you know, you know, there will be feelings hurt, but you know, it's the nature of the game. I mean, I remember sometimes I feel like you have to, like I said to my wife one time, oh, I have to make a phone call. I have to have a diva tantrum. Like I have to choose to have a tantrum right now for this person to hear me because they haven't heard me other way. Like I have to sort of like. All right, here we go. Like in a way that I'm like, I don't want to do it this way, but yeah. you aren't hearing me talk to it's you. It's much. Directly. It's much more. Uh, it, it's it, it's better, but less. Uh, the results are worse when it's just uh, you know it happens all of a sudden. Yes, <laughs> I like. It's good when you can use it like a chess move. Let me pull my queen out. Like instead right. of like just right. like just little, I can't control my feelings. Yeah, losing your it's shit. It's okay on to set. let the other person think that's happening. If you yeah. know, no, I'm under control. Here. Right, right. Yeah, like, I, like I can pull back anytime. So. Now, in doing, you know, uh, you know, totally biased, and then now this new show, which I think is part of the same arc. I think you, yeah. you're always been trying to do the same thing, and then now all of a sudden having a family. Now, how how has that affected your thoughts? Uh, you know, ab- about you know humanity, culture, race. I mean, what? Because that's a big deal, and I don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as you're in a like, biracial situation. I'm in. I'm in a, an interracial situation, and uh, yeah, I think that's how you say it when it's relationship. When, oh, oh no, your kids are person. biracial. I, well, we call them mixed race now. That's the new term. I, so I'm, I'm an old man. I'm always here to teach you the new term. Am it's I mixed race? Am yeah. I an old man? Did I say something bad or just, no? You just say anybody. Just in, ed, you just you did like the thing where it's like colored instead of negro. In no, like I did not. That's not. Well, I'm saying like 1960, like. And it was like, no, we're Negro now. So, you know? oh yeah, so it's mixed race, it's mixed race for people who and are, uh, people who are uh, because it sort of requires you could be more than just biracial. It it, inc- it is more inclusive. I'm sure you know. we're all mixed race. Okay, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> slow, slow down, sir. Slow down. Don't get ahead of me. This is the problem with problem with white guys. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. No. So my daughters are mixed race, and yeah. you know, and I think the big thing is teaching them what like my oldest daughter who's five and a half at some point like we always books is a big way to do it like you always have books that are just books kids books and then you have books that are about mixed race families which thankfully we can buy books about yeah right now and then like learning that my daughter knows she's black she knows she's half mom and half dad but she knows that that makes her black we haven't explained the political implications of that or why that is but she knows that she is a black person she is white and black, but she knows that means she's black because that's how poly- that's how America works. My daughter at one point we were talking about skin colors. She was like three years old. And yeah. She looked at me and she goes, "Dad's chocolate colored, I'm peanut butter colored, and yeah. Mama's oatmeal colored." Is what yeah. she said. And, and how did Mom feel about that? <laughs> that's not a good. No, nobody likes oatmeal. <laughs> that's not. That's not. <laughs> she wasn't real excited about it. And I can let my daughter grow up thinking she's peanut butter. Yeah. But then I'm also she's going to be in a really bad situation at some point. No, I'm not black. I'm peanut butter. That's yeah. not whether no. black or white people. That's not going to work out for you. So I think there's a thing about what you define yourself as and how the world sees you as a person of color. It's important to know how the world sees you because it's literally it's about survival at some point. 
Yeah. You can't be surprised when a cop pulls you over. Don't you know that my dad is technically, that I'm only half? Like, right. That's not, that's not, not going to work. Not going to play. But, she's, but because she's mixed race, I say she's black and mixed race. She's both those things. Right. Yeah. So in, in, in terms of your evolution as a, as a human, how, how has that affected the way you interact with other people? What do you mean? In terms of the conversations you have. I, I mean, I guess it's, you know, that those things intellectually you always knew. But I mean, I, I, in terms of like having to acknowledge that, you know, the, 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 the quality of life or the struggles or, or mm-hmm. obstacles that people are going to come in contact with, that, that you have these young kids and, and who, who are mixed race, mm-hmm. that they have been, they, there, there are some things that are going to happen. Yes. Yeah. And, and because of that. Yeah. So when you have conversations with, uh, you know, people who, who are, you, you know, and, and that's the fucked up thing is that, you know, most white people, and I would imagine some black people, you know, given that situation are always going to be like, well, you know, you did it to yourself. <laughs> yes, I've heard, I've heard that. Like, yes, I've heard the anything I any problem I have is because I'm married to a white woman. Yeah, like, well, that's what you get from marrying a white girl from what? black people. Yeah, from from black people. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's more of a black way of saying it. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's more of a, like it's married that white girl. Yeah, I've, and, and yeah. how do you respond to that? It's funny. Once you have kids, it really becomes easier to let a lot of shit go like that. Like, I'm right. just like. First of all, you're dead to me now. I'm not. I don't deal with this as a as a po- topic of discussion. I'm not going right. to engage with you about my family. Right. Like having kids, it's like once you know there's there's like three people that I need to be concerned with whether or not they live like on right. a daily basis. Right. And so people when they try to, they're trying to bait me when they say that, and I'm just like, yeah, that's what I get from marrying a white girl. Like I'm not going to engage with you in that discussion because it's ridiculous. Well, well, yeah. yeah, because then you can go. At, let's just talk about your wife for a second. <laughs> exactly. Like, 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 how's that know. going? Yeah, I don't know. We yeah, I'm not, I don't understand. Like, it's, I'm, it's a way, it's, when people do that, it's a way of going, oh, don't talk to you again? Okay, I got it. Yeah, got as it. opposed to just sort of like, yeah, being married's hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like having the, kids is yeah, hard. Yeah, but, yeah, that's the, the having two kids, five and two, is so hard. I don't have time to take on extra hardships that aren't, that don't, that aren't. Yeah, pressure from the community. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, I get it. I've gotten it in the Bay Area because there are, even though the Bay Area is so open and blah, 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 there's people there who, especially a black guy who ostensibly is talking about race and racism. Lot yeah. and go, well, how are you going to talk about all that and be married to a white woman? Yeah. Because I'm a person? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm a human and that's how this works? Love is a funny thing. Yeah, love is a funny <laughs> thing. And I don't feel any need to explain why I think you could get to like a really why are you attracted to this person? But I don't, I don't expect anybody else to do that. Yeah. I don't expect anybody, yeah, dude, good luck, you know. Color lines are fucked up. They, they are, but I don't feel bad about the fact that I'm black. Like I'm not like I wish I was white. It no, would be, no, no, no. But yeah. I mean, but that there is a, a place, you know, in, in the heart and in the mind where you can, you know, transcend color lines. You know, and and that is ultimately the goal, right? Of in, in on a, some level, in terms of being humane and human, that 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 at some point. It should not be the difference. I mean, I guess I think I get the word transcend is one of those words that I think is a problem too. Because, like, for example, when Prince died, is there another word? There, yeah, we can, we can figure it out. Maybe we'll invent it today. Okay. Uh, but the, like, because when Prince died, people were like he transcended race. It was like, why are you taking that away from him? Like he was a black <laughs> dude. Like why we don't like? And I tweeted, nobody said David Bowie transcended race. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. I think that like there's a thing about like wanting to move he, beyond. They that. should just say he was a black guy that everyone likes. Exactly. That's and that's what they're saying. 
saying. That black guy was all right with everybody, you know. <laughs> Can't argue with that black guy. And I think that, like, that's what we want to talk about. Like, these are differences that exist. I'm happy with the fact that I am who I am. I want to be able to talk about it. And I certainly don't like the liberal perspective of, like, as a black man, no, don't diminish yourself. Or yeah. Don't call yourself black. Can't right. just be a human. No, it's not. We're not there yet. There, yeah. And I don't know that we want to get there. Yeah. I, well, yeah, well, that's, that's sort of my question because they're – it wasn't a question, but like you know, I'm I'm sort of like being uh, uh, sort of uh, very mindful of my words. So my <laughs> Don't my my with me, you're not gonna do right, it with, me. with my where where my 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 dubious sense of race may be misunderstood. But um, I know one of my jobs is black friend. I'm okay with that. No, but I don't. I, I honestly don't think of it that way. But I like to have these t- conversations because I don't yeah. have them, and you can't have two white guys speculating. <laughs> I mean, we do that all the time on cable news. But yes, yes, <laughs> about race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the the weird thing is is that it, not unlike any ethnic group. Hang on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> As I sat up straighter in my chair. Hold on. Everybody. Wait a second. Yeah. That there there is a lot about you know cultural black identity that that is beautiful in the same way with, with Jewish or mm-hmm. or you know in the way that the the gay community defined themselves in in the sixties and seventies that it's it was important for the strength of the people involved to have a cultural identity. Yes. And that should be respected. And and it is different. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. No, I, I would imagine there's times when you realize that you're speaking as a Jewish person versus when you're speaking as Mark. I try to hide it all the time, but people see it no matter what. <laughs> That's pretty, yeah. No, you're not doing a good job at all. Uh, but there's also probably times you feel like you're speaking as a white guy, that you get to sort of, that there's a sort of, fra- whereas the thing was with people of color, we're often sort of just the color. Right. Like you get to sort of go, at, at, or maybe most of the time you just think of yourself as Mark, but as a person of color, I think... The thing that I've learned in the book is like the writing the book down, putting some words is like I have to be very careful about when I'm talking for myself, when I'm talking for black people. Because one thing I learned from the first season of the show, <laughs> one thing you learned from talking for black people, yeah, is, is that, that they black don't people know. don't often like, yeah, like I would say, I would make really <laughs> stupid jokes about, well, black people, we all like salt. And there'd be black people like, why you got to say we all like. Now, I, I can argue the fact that, well, you know, yeah. high blood pressure. But I was like, yeah, you're right. I should make that joke about I like salt. You yeah, know? I yeah. think that it's easy for me to fall into those tropes too. So the second season, I think I did a lot better job of owning what was me. And what I think specifically was. It's interesting because those tropes, you know, like it, it, it's sort of the the weird thing about about community stereotyping within the community, mm-hmm. where that you know it, it, then it's funny, but you know, but then you know, and that's now an old it's thing. On CNN. Right. I think if I'd done it on BET, there might be a different reaction. Right, but now it's sort of like, why you got to tell them our secrets? Yeah, or, or why you got to why you got to make white people once again think we're monolithic? Yeah, well, I used to have that horrible problem with like Jackie Mason and. And these things sort of like, you know, when he do jokes like, you know, all, every, all Jews just want to sit down. Yes. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Exactly. That's, and it gets to the point like, I mean, I think Bernie Mac is one of the greatest of all time. And I remember he had a joke that was like, when white people go to break, they leave and come back. When black people go to break, we take a break. And that was, I mean, first of all, it's hilarious the way he said it. I was like, well, we got to be taking a break. Like, you know, like, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I come back in fifteen minutes, <laughs> you know, like so. But I think that some of that stuff—it's the but nature of it, comedy. It's, it's the nature of comedy, but yeah. also, you know, it, it does reinforce things. Yeah, 
for you know for white people in this particular situation. And Bernie like, Mac was doing it on and, the and be, of comedy. And because too. of that, I'd like to make it known that you came early today. I did come early today. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was very early today. Yes, yeah. I'm trying to. I, I do Making think up for... I do think some of my job is to actually physically like bust stereotypes. <laughs> like I, what I hear all the time is like, "Oh, you were so much nicer than I expected." Yeah, because I'm a six foot four, two hundred fifty pound black guy. I I get part of my job is to be like, "Hey, everybody, how's it going, yeah, man?" Yeah. You know, to sort of like let people. Part of my job on the show, especially when we go to like you know the white privilege conference with Richard Spencer or Appalachia, is to just sort of be a different what they think of black. I know what their black guy is in their head, and to sort of actively not be that black guy, so we can have a real conversation. Right, right. So all they can leave if they have any hate in them at that time, that moment you finish your conversation is the the worst it could be. Like he's a smart one, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, that means that I can't walk in in a bad mood. Like, I can't walk in. And this is where you don't get to be a person. I can't walk in like, I'm having a little bit of bad news. Because like, black people always in a yeah, bad mood. Yeah, like, yeah. Anger. Yeah. What? Is it us? Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> Mad at the white man? Yeah. Well, that's a given. Well, yeah. But, um... So, what do you want people to walk away with? I mean, what what's the journey? Where did it where did it land? I I think that... I mean, it's funny that this book was, was sort of pitched and written, started to be worked on before the election happened. But I think that one thing the election has proven, and it's because it's not about the right, it's about right. America is in desperate need of confronting uh, its its history of oppression and hatred, and there's no like Donald Trump is just the pimple that rises to the surface. And well, now it's like if anything that I've been starting to realize lately is that well, it's all out in the open now. <laughs> you but know, see, yeah. But for some people, it's still not out in the open. They still sort of want it to be okay. They say like, well, it'll probably. I have friends who are like, well, we all, I mean, well, he's, we just, all he's as bad as every as any Republican president. It's just the same sort of playbook. It's being and I and my thing is like we have to stop wanting to settle into okay and actually have the conversation. And and a lot of that is with white people. We've talked about this last time I was on here that white people a lot, were like shocked by the election. A lot of like white people on the left. It was like stop being shocked and start getting engaged in the conversation. Well, yeah, I mean, that, well, that's it because I, I've been doing this bit on stage when people are like, "How did this happen?" And you go like, "What have you been doing for the last eight years? Working on me?" <laughs> that's hilarious. Exactly. That's exactly the thing. We, you know, it's that it's the bubble that we hear about, and I think that this has pop the bubble but i don't want people to sort of people want to construct their own bubble again quickly like they just want it to be okay well i think that was one of the the the, the downfalls of obama is was there was sort of like we did it yeah we did it we we got one in yeah no i i, I always I've, i i haven't worked on the bit yet but i was writing a bit about the idea of if you were able to tell obama on the first day he was in office like uh just so you know the next president is donald trump yeah I feel like he would have changed the entire way he was president. Like, I feel like if he had known that that was coming, that he sort of thought, I think he sort of really had a lot of, he really trusted America in a way that proved to be, I think, wrong. And that he just thought, well, I'm going to do so much good work, I will just hand the baton to the next person. But, but like, I, I do, like, you know, every other day have have some hope for the country. I, I mean, it, it you know, it, it has... You know what they say, sort of sardonically. You know uh, about getting woke. <laughs> you know, you know, we're woke. We're woke. We're, and, we're and hashtag woke. Yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. now you know we you got we, hashtag stay woke. Now we have to try not to you know uh, go to sleep out of sadness and depression and frustration or exhaustion out exhaustion. of just like I was woke all day long yesterday. Yeah, yeah, like, it was horrible. <laughs> I had to turn off my computer. I've been woke since January twentieth. I don't know how I need to get some sleep. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is not being exhausted by the by the nonsense. It's yeah. not sort of getting caught up in the daily the like you know I stopped I sort of stopped paying attention to 
know, all the news alerts on my phone at some point because, like, you can't. There's this is all most of this is nonsense. Ugh. You have to really make sure you focus on the things that are actually mean something and actually have are about real things. I mean, it's fun. It's really fun. Uh, to get is that in, the word? I'm saying it's fun to get caught up in like Sean Spicer nonsense, but it's not necessarily I find it all terrifying. Huh? I mean, I do. I I definitely. I mean, I, like I said, a lot of this goes back to being a dad. I definitely look at my kids like, okay, we got it. That's sort of the motivation and also the scary thing. I got it. It's got to be better than this for them, right? You know, this got this. We can't. I can't pass the baton. Good luck. <laughs> Trump's still president, even though and, you're 20. And you know, you, what, know. you know what? I didn't realize fully. And you know, the first two months of this presidency were were you know I you know I was like I I gotta get out. You know, and, and it's a childish reaction. You, you know, but but it was but understandable. Right, it's a traumatic event, fight or flight. But you, right? But you know, you realize how big the country is. But also, the one thing I didn't really realize was just how terrified and angry and completely disoriented uh, a large number of people were with the Obama presidency. Like that, on a day to day basis, they were like, "I can't believe this is happening." Yeah, and you know, I it, it's hard to be empathetic. And to see it as like you know a, a, the backlash, you know being a you know coming from that place, mm-hmm. but but there were a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There, I don't think they're a majority, but there were a lot of people that were like, for whatever reason, it's more than many people in this country expected. But for some of us, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, that you know, I mean, it's a testament to Obama that he got through it, not lived through it, but actually got through it. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the fact that he had to spend like several months like a lot of time in his presidency was spent talking about whether or not he was born in this country like that's crazy and i think a lot of people sort of let that stuff go but i'm like every person i know is like that's an indicator of what's going on in this country that that wasn't a fringe issue that bubbled up to the to the halls of congress and the halls of the senate yeah whether or not this guy's born here and 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 for me it's like the for a lot that's why i feel like the biggest group effect it's like white women were like but I thought we were all in the same, yeah. you know, I thought, you know, woke white women like my wife and, and then like white people, who, white people of all genders who were like, I had no idea it was this bad. Yeah. And but, I feel like but those are the was... people that need, we need to keep awake because those people are like, I'd really like to just start working on me again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think there was something with it that my sense of, you know, the black community in reaction to this is sort of like, yeah, we knew that this was. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yes. like, you know, like, let's just see how it plays out. Let's not get too loud yet. <laughs> well, I think the, the thing that I hear that a lot of the people I talk to, like I'm friends friendly with Alicia Garza, who's one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. And she regularly talks about the fact we can't judge these people who just woke up today. We have to invite them in. Yeah. Like, it's real easy to be like, oh, now you're woke. <laughs> oh, now you want to go. Now you like to march. Yeah. Oh, now you want to go to D.C. We've been going to D.C. for a long time. But I think that's always been the way it's been at these junctures. That I, I don't think that, you know, in the 50s, you know, that, you know, there was just a, a torrent, uh, you know, just like a never ending wave of white people going down south to march. No. Like, I, I, I do think there was plenty of people, uh, you know, who were, you know, good hearted that were like, I don't know, it looks pretty bad on TV. Well, no, I think that's true. But I think the thing we have to do, and I think Martin Luther King did a good job of this, and not that I'm trying to use him the way every 
Buddy uses him. But the idea of like you have to just invite them in and work on their fault their 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 faults later. Mm-hmm. Like you can't go before you before we let you join the movement. I think there's a lot of this right now. You have to do these things or we need you to do these things. It's like, no, no, come in here, come into the room. Yeah. We yeah. all need to build the coalition yeah, we, and we'll fix you later. We suspended the black test. <laughs> we suspended the woke test. Yeah. The woke test. <laughs> yeah, yes. Because yeah, okay. it's for a lot of different groups have need to suspend we have to suspend the woke test and sort of on the do on the job training of wokeness. Oh, I'm very happy for you and, and congrats on the book and, and I hope the show keeps going and uh always like to see you, man. Yeah, and, and again Mark, thank you for uh, being a, a, a guiding force. And also, I can look in your face and tell how I'm doing. So it feels like I'm doing okay today. You are, man. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and keep it up. Thank you. That was nice to see Kamau. As I mentioned, the book is called Awkward Thoughts, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell. And his show is United Shades of America. The podcast is politically reactive. A lot of stuff going on. So uh, that was good. That was fun. It was uh, engaging. And um, I learned things. And I said some things almost wrong. How is that not a great time? It's okay to be wrong. Tolerance is important. Tolerance is important. Tolerance is important. Amanda Pete is somebody who I've, uh, you know... I, I like her and I like her acting and I've liked, you know, I have a weird sort of um, the things I've seen of hers that where I've really remembered her have always been these uh, smaller parts where she's, you know, not so nice. But uh, but man, she was so funny in um, Togetherness and and this new show, Brock Meyer, sounds great. And I'm, I, I was just happy to talk to her and meet her. I always felt like we would get along and I believe we did. I feel like I was I was trying to entertain her during this interview, and I, I think I might have achieved that. But uh, you decide. Amanda Peet, charming, good actress, sharp. I enjoy talking to her. She is currently on the new show Brockmire, which airs Wednesday nights on IFC. We had Hank Azaria in here a little bit ago to talk about it. So this is me and Amanda Peet. So the baby's out. Uh, yes, the baby's out. This is a big dress. It's what we call a schmata. Yeah, I know what schmata is. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, I think my uh, I think I have a schmata salesman in my family back there somewhere. Back there. Yeah, I think my mother's boyfriend. Yeah, uh, no, just the Lower East Side, oh. New Yorky. Oh, okay. My mother's boyfriend still is in fabric. He's like in his seventies. He sells fabric. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's very vague. Yeah. Fabric. So where do you come from? In <clears throat> New York City. Really, the whole time? Yeah. Well, what do you mean the whole time? Well, I mean, you're like, you're a New Yorker, born and bred kind of deal? Born and bred, except for that my dad took a job in London when I was seven. So I lived in England for four years. Yeah. 1979 to 19... 19- How old were you? Seven to 11. Yeah. So you remember it? Yes. And what was, what did your dad do? He was a lawyer, corporate just, lawyer. So not, you weren't too engaged with it? He was just a lawyer that did yeah. things? Yeah. And yeah, when, I sure wasn't too engaged in corporate law. <laughs> I still don't understand what he does. <laughs> but he's still around. That's good. Yeah, he's still around. And your mom? And my mom is still around. And what does she do? She was a social worker. That's That seems important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you engaged in that? Were you, did you find that impressive? Well, yeah, because she would come home and say, like, you know, a boy peed my name on the wall. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, and at you're the like, Jewish Board of Children and Family Services. So I was like, <laughs> Who's that tell boy? me more. Yeah. 
I was like, oh, good idea. Let me take some notes. How do you do that? Yeah. Boys are so lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have siblings? I have an older sister. What does she do? She's a doctor. Oh, stable. Good. Well, I'll tell you this. Yeah. I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac. I don't... I am, too. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've gotten over it, though, a bit. Yeah. So it's good to have the sister. <laughs> well, she's basically gotten to the point where she's like, if you fucking call me one more time, I'm going to blow a gasket. Really? She got to that point like 20 years ago. But uh, I'm a hypochondriac. I had a terrible stomach flu. I was barfing for about 12 hours straight. And yeah. Recently? It was like in the last couple of years. And I, didn't have one of those I called her eventually yeah. and was like, I, I can't. I can't. I think there's something very wrong. And she was like, I, I can assure you there's nothing very wrong. You're just, you know, freaking out. And they talk a lot about like public health and yeah. how we go to the emergency room too much and how rich white people, you know, go to the doctor yeah. too much. And so I got in a taxi and I went to Cedars to the emergency room. Sure. And I didn't tell her. Right. Because she was like, just, you just have to wait it out. And, but I am a quitter. <laughs> and so I, I got in a taxi and I went and the young doctor came in the room mm-hmm. and said, and she looked down at the paper and said, are you Amanda Pete? And I was like, oh yeah, really? Really? Lady? <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking shitting and barfing my brains out. And you want like what? An autograph? You want to talk about which your favorite movie? And she was like, your sister was my teacher. I was a resident. And I was like, don't tell her I'm here. <laughs> That switch quick. I was like, you really have to promise me you're not going to tell her I'm here because she'll be so angry at me. So, yeah. I don't like that waiting it out shit. I've learned to do it. My father was a doctor oh, and okay. I had yeah. a, a long history of uh, being a hypochondriac. It's, I don't know. I, I don't know how to track it all the time, but I, I try to wait things out. I've gotten better at that with uh, blemishes and whatnot. Yeah. Things that seem suspect in the mouth or on the skin like if i bite if i bite the inside of my mouth you know i don't automatically have to think hey that's mouth cancer right if i'm just poking around in my mouth for no reason which i've pulled back from but but i'm able to go like i might have bitten my cheek so let's just see if that goes away yeah needless to say though how did you get better at it i tell a long story about what happened it was an embarrassing uh urologist episode um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh but i but despite that i did go to the doctor yesterday in somewhat of a panic so oh. Oh. not i find that um that it gets worse when i'm freaked out about other things was it like just trump like general anxiety or well there's well that's going on but like i had a skin thing right here and i shaved my neck i'm really this is really turned out to be my interview you know, to, to, you know, I'm just growing this beard out for a roll. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but then like the next day, not really putting together, I saw this like mole here that was all fucked up. Like it didn't look good and it kind of had purple around it. I'm like, oh my God, finally the bad thing has happened. I have melanoma and gold. So I called up, thank God I have good health coverage. I went in, and as time went on, I realized I might have hit it with the buzz razor, and it was just a skin tag, and it looked worse than it was. But, uh, yeah, so it was nothing. Yeah. But she burned off a few other uh, skin tags. Good, oh. Good stuff. We talked about barfing and shitting. I thought maybe I'd kind of ante up with the skin tags. I'm really glad you did. But that aside, let's talk about the Manhattan that Amanda P. grew up in. <laughs> what do you want to know? Well, I mean... Like, you're like a real New York woman. 
Yeah. So now both your folks Jewish? No, my dad is about as Jewish as... Not. I don't know where I was going with that. Almost a thing happened. Yeah. And my mom is, you know, really, really, really German Jew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which, what does that mean to you, German They had a Christmas tree. I had a couple Christmas trees, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. But your dad, not Jewish at all. Well, this was in the 50s, you know. Uh, No, my dad is not Jewish at all. He's an atheist. And uh, so we didn't grow up with my family. With religion? No. But you did grow up like, you know, in the city? like like In the city, 11th and 5th. Yeah. Uh, I was born in New York Hospital. And... Uh, I went to Manhattan Friends Quaker School on 16th Street. I lived right there. Did you? Like literally right there at 16th on and Rutherford. 3rd. Oh, 16th and 3rd in the yeah. corner building? Yeah. I love that building. The, with the doorman? Yeah. Yeah. It's the greatest in, building ever. It's a weirdo building, man. Is it weird? Yeah, because it was this old pre-war kind of like yeah, deco building. Yeah, it's a great building. I bet you regret that you're not in that building. Well, I had I mean, not, this is great, but... No, I know. I had an opportunity to buy, but like I had no idea how to buy things. And I yeah. didn't have that much money. But I just couldn't understand how it could cost that much money when they started selling yeah. them. Because it was like yeah. a rent control. And there were some freaks that live in that building, man. Like there were some like real old school New York weirdos. The thing you would have had to do is buy two, break a wall down yeah. to make, because those were small were units. Bitty. Yeah. I mean, it's all small in New York, unless you're like a kajillionaire. So what is that school down there? It's a Quaker school. But you didn't, you were, it's just a good school though. You weren't there because you were a Quaker. I think my mom thought it was a, in the 80s, it was kind of a hippie school. Right. You and know? that's when you went? That's when I went. And uh, my sister went to Fieldston because she was a really good athlete and she was a tomboy and I was supposed to be the artsy one, so right. I went to Friends. Right. Now I think it's like a really fancy school, but back in the day it was... Well, I, I just know it was like, a, what is it, first through sixth? No, it's all the way, K through 12. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, I just know it was like a, a private kind of, not a Montessori school, but like a good school. Like, you know, celebrity kids went there and stuff. Yeah, but it wasn't like that back in the day. I swear to God. Well, what were you doing? Finger painting and yeah, paper mache. My husband makes fun of my grammar. He's like, "What did you learn there? Yeah. Anything?" How long did you, you went all the way through? I went all the way through. You were a, in that little place from first through twelve. Well, except for when I was in London. But yes, starting in kindergarten all the way through twelfth grade, that was my place where I went. Were, like, were you one of a small bunch of people that stayed the full run? Yeah. They took pictures of us, you know, as seniors. They matched the kindergarten with the... Really? How many really made it through? Like, there were like five of us. Right. That stayed the whole time. Do you know those people now? No. Really? No. Didn't keep in touch with anybody? No. What are you, a monster? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just wasn't that close with those particular people. Well, you're, you're... preoccupied i mean you've got things don't you have like five nine ten kids how many kids you have five nine ten kids <laughs> three that's a lot it is it's why'd, insane why'd you decide on three well because we thought it would be cute because the second one was so easy she's yeah. so goddamn easy and she's such an angel yeah and she lured us into this weird state where we were like three so cute yeah and it is, but she was exceptionally easy. Uh, uh, that that kid. That kid. The so you had kid. another one. Yeah. And oh, she convinced you to have a third one. No, she just by her angelic. Oh, you thought like, wow, we really struck gold. Why don't we just have another Let's one? Let's have these, another angel. This is fantastic. Yeah. And what was the first one doing? She's 
fantastic in her own way, but she's not as easy. Right. And this, and what was the third one? He's in between the yeah. two of them. He's yeah. a, and it's a boy. So we we were lucky because we had two girls and then we got a boy. You got the boy, and that kid is only like two now, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's two. And how how's that going? The two thing. I don't have children, so I'm just trying to act like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Sometimes I feel the same as you probably where I act like I know what I'm talking about yeah you know like when I'm in a parent teacher night not as much a parent teacher conference but like one of those parent back to school nights where you go with all the parents yeah and especially now that Frankie's older if they start talking about math or something I just do, glaze over do you change the subject to paper mache <laughs> Like, when I was me. in school, yeah, we did a lot of crafts. Well, I do get I, I get insecure, and so I just try to look normal and act parental and normal. But really, inside, I'm just like a big loser who like couldn't make it past. I don't think I even took algebra. Really, I was so bad at math. Yeah, I was bad at algebra, but I often think I about that. Algebra. Oh, do you? Why? Because like I wonder One about one of your true regrets. No, I know, but there's a few. Yeah, yeah. I wish I was <laughs> more interested in chess. Oh, and, uh, well, there's not too late. No, it is. No, it isn't. No, it is. No, it isn't. I'm not going to put the time in. I, Why yeah. do you have to be the best? Why can't you just enjoy chess? It'll put you in a flow state, which is very good for. You sound like a chess player. Mm, no, I mean I'm not a chess player. But a flow state. What's what? that? Where you just like kind of lock in? A flow state is good for neurotic people who think too much because you... I do. I do guitar. Okay, so there you go. All right, I do that, yeah. and you know, it could be like another thing like that that you. Yeah, do. sometimes I'll cook some things. Me too. Cooking yeah. is a good. I like to keep the dirty dishes out of the sink type of deal. Uh huh. That kind of thing. Uh -huh. Organizing. Yeah. Yeah. This the, right now. This is the garage is bordering on uh, sad to me and needs to be dealt with. I have this dream of of just getting rid of fucking everything don't do it because this is very special i know i know maybe i'll just tear the house down and just have this <laughs> have like a weird <laughs> vacant lot with pipes sticking up in the garage no all right so let's go back yeah uh, Pat, we, before we got oh what i was math, saying was when faking i talk it i don't know well yeah well that's what i always wonder about like how like how would i parent if like the kids like can you help me with your homework not a chance I, what I, I learn nothing. So if I see, she'll say, mommy, mommy. And if I see that it's math, I will walk over and then quickly pretend something distracted me. That should help the kid. And that I'm really busy. <laughs> yeah, right. So she's just on her own. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know what. Or, or I'll, make, I'll make it into like, uh, you know, like I'll take a stance about it. Like you, I'll see that it's math yeah. and not something I can help her with. And I'll say, don't you think you need to do, to try a little harder on your own? You know, Ooh, I make it yeah, about yeah. her sure, like, sure. being overly dependent on, you know, Help. getting my approval when R really it's because I'm fucking terrified that I have no idea what she's fucking talking about. Long division? When's the last time you did long division? That's with the squid in the line? The thing in the thing, yeah. And apparently they do it differently now. I had to call my sister. I was like wow. in the corner calling her as if it was like... No, it's not about a sickness. It's about <laughs> division. <laughs> <laughs> the two the two things I call her about. Math and illness. Yeah. How do you carry the one and the remainder thing or dinger? They don't do it like we used to do it. What the fuck? Yeah. And, and she's just like, wow. God. Have, but uh, that's what she says? I mean, it's in a loving way, but yeah. But don't, have you ever sort of like tried to re-engage? Like it's in the book. With the long kid, division? Well, the kid's got the book, right? So it's got to be explained in there. I'm going to be really honest with you right now because I just feel like it. Yeah. 
It's too hard. I'm telling you, she her level of math what, just what, became too hard for me. What grade? Fourth grade. Okay. <laughs> you can't talk. You're no, feeling all sorry for me as if you're in a different boat. I don't have kids. But it's, that's not I'm the point. Ne- I'm never called upon. Like, but I've, that's not the point. The point is, is you're thinking it's silly that I can't do fourth grade math. No, but I, probably you not, it's not necessarily, you know. What I was trying to do is be empathetic oh, with the thanks. sad moment. Okay. That, you know, you made this admission. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it is, you know, it's, it's a vulnerable place, <laughs> you know, and, it, you know, I'm happy that I was here for okay, you to, thank you. To, to kind of decide to come out and say something so truthful and, and, and sad. I was trying to. I was trying to make this a safe space, Thank Amanda. You. Wait, can I just tell you one thing that has compounded the whole thing? It's that uh, uh, yeah. they told me some time ago, maybe a year ago, maybe uh-huh. a little more, <clears throat> that Frankie was quite good at math. Mm-hmm. And in the parent-teacher conference, I started laughing and saying, "Well, <laughs> she doesn't get it from me because you know my husband wasn't there; he was away shooting somewhere." And and I was like, I hated math. And they said, don't tell her that. Because mm-hmm. it's important because you're a girl and she's a girl. And you don't want to go around saying you don't like math. Because right. we need more STEM girls yeah. stuff. STEM, so that, STEM girls stuff? Yeah, you know, STEM, science, something. STEM cell? Something. No, it's not STEM cell. Can you look it up? STEM? Yeah. What? what, what? STEM, it's. Is it plant stuff? It's to do with women in science and okay. math and technology. Science, and I don't know exactly science. how each letter, what... Okay, so it stands for something. Yes. Okay, okay, all right. STEM Education Coalition, is that what it is? Yeah. Science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Thank you. God, thank you. That's so deeply satisfying, isn't it? Yeah, I feel better. I do too. So, all right, but you, but still going back to, the, like, oh. I do have this idea that, like, if I just got myself an algebra textbook, I could take another crack at it. Yeah, you're smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think it's because we're not capable or just because we glaze over? I mean, is it a lack of discipline? What is it? I think it's both. Uh-huh. I mean, speaking for myself, I can't speak for you. I definitely think that as soon as I see the number and the number's in the hundreds yeah. and then the the long division thingy right. and that number's a big number yeah. I go blank it's just sort of like it just oh, is if I'm looking for a nap. at mm-hmm. what bearing does this have on my life no but it's not it's not a thing of like that's not important enough it's just you're too dumb you're not gonna get in there yeah you're not gonna be able to get in there so just just See, I believe that, like, I'd rather go along, I'd rather go with this sort of like, well, I could probably do it if I applied myself, but I'm not going to. <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm certainly smart enough to handle long division, but I don't know. I don't need to now. What do you think of that? I'm into that. I like that. And I'm going to try that on. No, don't do it with your kid. Oh. No, just, uh, do you, what about tutors and things? For me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you did need a math tutor. I had a history tutor recently. Recently you had a history yeah. tutor? Do you not have the internet at your house? <laughs> yeah, but that's not... You had a history tutor? Oh, for a role? No. <laughs> <laughs> for what? Just like you're like, why, why you, what, well, you woke up one day and you're like, I don't know enough about... Yeah. Really? For real. So you hired a history tutor? That's correct. To learn... Well, first I was going to start with... World War One, Ottoman Empire, how everything was divvied up. But uh-huh. then I realized, boy, I know fucking nothing about before that. So 
we ended up going way back to like Mesopotamia and stuff and you know the fertile crescent and all yeah, that yeah not none of which I really remembered so that went on for a little while how long like a weekly meeting yeah you took Sometimes notes more than once were there week. quizzes no that's a good thing and I didn't have to write an essay what is better than that it's like it's all it almost felt it really felt almost like not fair right so what did you get caught up no I don't remember anything again second time around that's correct. recently yeah nothing stuck not really but all right I remember thinking it was interesting you at know at the time sure it's going in like oh yeah this yeah. is great and now I look back at my notes first of all I can't read them because they're You're taking illegible. notes with your history You're right so and nothing has changed for you uh since school well I I get to say that I was interested enough to hire a tutor on a <sighs> on a podcast with you what were you doing in school? Were you just being a mean girl or were you uh, having fun? That's quite an were assumption. That's you... got a vibe. <laughs> oh my God, that's horrible. Tell me I'm wrong. You are wrong. Okay. Yeah, I was just be busy being mean, so I didn't concentrate. <laughs> what were you doing? Daydreaming. All right. Well, there's no reason to get defensive. No, I'm not. I swear, I'm not. I've seen you play relatively emotionally shut down people that were kind of mean and a little detached. And, you know, maybe maybe I made assumptions. I hope I'm not mean. And in school, I just was, you know... I just probably, I probably had ADHD, but they didn't have it back then. No. They just called people like me just people who were like, give her some paper mache. Right, or or they were like um, motivational problems, unmotivated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So where were your parents guiding you through this? Your mother, the social worker, your father, the corporate lawyer. You're floundering in paper mache, <laughs> and no, no guidance. No. Oh yeah. Where's tutors your homework? Were, tutors were lined up. And oh really? Tests were taken. Nothing could help. Psychological tests. Like yeah. A whole in seventh grade, she you know she was in analytic training at IPTAR in New York City, mm-hmm. so she was in the whole. 80s psychoanalysis right let's movement. figure these kids out yeah yeah so uh so in fact when i went to a shrink when i was 13 and he was an analyst uh-huh. and he was like you know you're a very good candidate for psychoanalysis <laughs> <laughs> at 13 yeah and what what happened in that i meeting? went into i went into psychoanalysis at 13 yeah how'd that work out <sighs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, it was both good and bad. Well, I mean, everything was pretty fresh. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, How was your childhood? Yeah. It's I mean, still it, going on. Yeah. <laughs> that's, isn't it odd that, that, that we were, I, I mean, I remember going to one because I was having trouble in school and they brought me to a, the first kid therapist and uh, he just brought me into a room with a table and there was just millions of board games. Yeah. And, and toys was, and stuff. Right. You want to play? Yeah. And I'm like, not really. <laughs> And then they brought me to the more kind of uh, a more sort of open approach therapist, which was sort of like, let's just talk, man. What's up? You know, not the kind of like, I'm going to evaluate you. Yeah. And that guy was how you do this board game. Right. No, that guy was good. There was group and, you know, I fell in love with a, you know, suicidally depressed girl. Well, that's, you know, I mean, it's romantic. Yeah. I was young, you know, and, uh, you know, sensitive. Did you save her? No. Because we can't. 
well, I, it, you know, I just learned that two years ago. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's yeah. a, that, that one took a while. Yeah, that's, the a, more, that's a tough one. Yeah. It, really? You've been through that? <laughs> no. How long have you been married? <laughs> uh, oh, just over 10 years. I just oh. had my 10 year. Oh, wow. But I saved him. You did? No. <laughs> He's still in trouble? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does he do? He, my husband is a writer. For movies and television? He does both. He's a novelist, mm-hmm. and then he runs a TV show. Which one? It's called Game of Thrones. That's a big show. It is. People enjoy it. They do. It seems very complicated. He yeah. must be very busy. He is busy. <laughs> I, I can't even, that to me, that's like math. Like to oh, approach yeah. Games and Thrones right now, people are like, you haven't watched it? I'm like, I don't even know. I can't yeah. start at the beginning. Yeah. Be like the rest of my life at this point. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> but that's a good gig are they making more does it end ever they we have asked that question uh many times (laughs) does it ever run um this is the this coming season we're going to shoot in august september that will be the last season are you in it no then why are you saying we because i hold down the fort while he goes to do it okay with the kids and all Let's You're like, tr- okay, that's boring. Let's no, move on. No, it's not on. boring. Oh. I just, I don't like, you know, I wish I knew more about Games of Thrones, oh. but I'm more interested in you and figuring out how the hell that everything- makes one of you in the uh, universe. Oh, come on now. I just, I'm interested in the, you know, how you evolved into this actress person. So you, you just fucked off from K to 12. Well, I did didn't some- fuck off. I tried really hard and I went to Columbia. Well, you must've done all right then. Yeah. So, what happens? Why? What? When do you find your passion? Well, when I was growing up, my yeah. mom, I did a little acting class in the basement of a church in England while my sister was playing baseball with my cousins. She was a tomboy. I think I mentioned that. Yeah. And I took this little acting class where we would all, you know, pretend to be a sausage or, you know, <laughs> I love you, baby, but I just can't smile or. Those were the exercises? Yeah, they were like weird just exercises. It was very good for someone like me. Yeah. And then when I got home to New York, I went to HB Studio on Bank Street Uh where Uta Hagen was teaching. This is before college? This is before college. I took the teenage class there on Sundays, every Sunday for two hours. With Uta Hagen? No, with her, one of her protege. And then junior year at Columbia, I auditioned for Uta Hagen. And I studied with her for four and a half years. And wow. then I got very serious because I people had headshots, and I was like, "What's a headshot? Holy shit!" So you weren't you were just you learning how to do it. You weren't like looking at the career element. You were becoming an actor. Yeah, but I was starting once I was in Uta's class. That's when I started thinking, "Wow, maybe this could be what I want to do." I not uh-huh. just like a side thing on Sundays. I don't know that. I think I've talked to maybe one or two people that maybe took with her a little bit, but you studied with her a lot. Yeah. And you were good because you're a good actress. So you had a relationship with Uta Hagen. Yes. She was a method practitioner? She uh, she has this book called Respect for Acting. Right. And then she wrote Challenge for the Actor. And she puts you through, as you go through her courses, you go through these exercises that she kind of made up that are... Where does she come from? Who does she come from? She She's not a group theater person or no, like she's not... No. She's like her own thing. She's her own thing. Hmm. So what do you learn? So you're going on Sundays and you're with her protege or her, her mm-hmm. and but you're young. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you learn? What are these different? So that was an improv class. So 
um, I wasn't doing Uta's exercises in that class. I was just doing improvs every Sunday yeah. with other kids who were teenagers. Yeah. A bunch and you of liked it though. Weirdos. Yeah. But not necessarily comedy improvs. Like everyone talks no, improv now. It always I never, the place to go is always comedy, but it's not. Never occurred to me to think about comedy versus drama until like five years ago. I mean, it just never occurred to me. It just doesn't. It's better if I don't think about that. Right. But for now, everyone involved. <laughs> right. But now you're becoming a funny person. You're you're sort of I you I I don't know if anyone's told you that, but you're evolving into a funny person, and I think I don't think that was the original intention. Well, the first movie I did, my break, the movie that was my break, was the whole nine yards with. But Matt. that wasn't the first movie you did. But that was my it was. I know, right? With that, right? With Bruce Willis and the right. other goofballs. So then I couldn't get a drama after I did that. Really? Because then I was like, oh, she can't do drama. She's just silly. So the pendulum has gone... Back and forth a yeah. bit? But you can do both. Well, I like to think so, but you know... But so at some point, though, you have to... like. Sometimes it's not bad to be funny. Because I agree. funny's harder, and there's not that many funny people. That's my belief. I mean, it, it, a lot of people can fake their way through a drama. But you this can't, is true. That's can't, true. Can't fake your way through a comedy. Unless someone really uses you properly. Like, that, that idiot's not funny at all. Just put funny people around him and see what happens. Oh, look, he's like a tree. He's like a maypole for funny people. So, tell me about these exercises so I can understand. <clears throat> I'd like to do a couple with you. Okay. Um, okay, well, the better ones, the one that I think about a lot that is in Uta's book is uh, talking on the phone. Okay. And the reason she assigns it is only for you to get used to what we call the fourth wall. So right. that you won't feel afraid to look out. Yeah. And yet you won't look out for reasons of wanting to be presentational. Oh, to engage with the audience in that way. Do you, will you want to be able to look out in case there's a part where you're like, look at those trees or... Right, 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 right. right. Um, but not audience related. Right. Yeah. So what you do is you, she makes you go home and you rehearse talking on the phone to three different people. Right. And three different people have to be as different as possible. Uh-huh. And what you're supposed to learn to do is face out and not be afraid. And then you're also supposed to learn how you change and your voice changes depending on who you're talking to. So these were some of the funniest shit I have ever seen in theater. Really? People talking to their agent and then clicking over because it was in the time of call waiting. Sure. And talking to their mom. So they'd be like, um, no, I definitely am available for that. Um, now, do I need to read the sides before I go? Or I'm, I'm so sorry. Can you hold on one second? Hello? Hi, mom. <laughs> I know. Because I was out. <laughs> I know. Can you tell them one thing? Call you right back. Call you right back. Call you right back. Like just yeah, psychotic yeah, yeah, yeah. people. Just right. you just can't even believe people are. This is how people really are. Right. They're good people. Right. People who really got it. Yeah. It was like, I mean, the best, the greatest theater. Really. Ever. That's an interesting exercise. So you have to manufacture the other side of the conversation. That's right. Do you do, did you do a lot of theater then? Were you like, is that where you started? Would you say you started in theater? Um. Well, I tried. I did a play my junior year off-Broadway, and then I did a play at Jewish Rep and stuff, and then I was doing commercials, and eventually I got a Law & Order, which is sort of like the... 
That's the graduation? That's the moment. Here you go. We've run out of people. It's your turn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. New blood. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. What'd you play? I played a Patty Hearst character who was, you know, like a... Brainwashed? Stockholm Syndrome type. Yeah. How'd that go? It was good. Yeah? I, th- I thought it was... Was that your first role on that TV? That was the first role on TV. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Did and you... I did Seinfeld yeah. shortly after that. What'd you play in Seinfeld? He wasn't very nice to me, but uh, maybe he was in a bad way. Was that like the first season-ish? Or, no, you know, it was... no, it was he was he was Seinfeld. It was Seinfeld. He um, wasn't very nice to you. No, I don't know him. I don't know, but he. I was terrified because I have horrible stage fright. And still, yeah, yeah. When you're dealing with live audience, anything live, like if I'm going on, you know, like Dave Letterman, I had to take a Xanax sometimes. Really? Yeah. Well, how did he handle you? He was great to me. Yeah. But I loved him too much. And when you love someone too much, it's important to take a Xanax. I did stand up on there like four times or five times, but I did one sit down talk. And I was like, like I was just looking at him going like, oh my God, he's right there. <laughs> that feeling of like, this is happening. Yeah. 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 Xanax would have helped. But then yeah. I would have spent my life on Xanax. Yeah. Then I'm you used tricky. to. Tricky. Yeah. I can't do. I'm one of those people. You know, just yeah. the, the one Xanax would be be like, why not live life like this? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, sure it is. I've asked myself that question many, many times. So you do the Law and Order. So I did the Law and Order, and then I sort of started working on things like Seinfeld and uh-huh. little things, and then I started testing for things that were a little bit bigger, and then eventually I read with Bruce Willis, and he chose me. Just complete anonymity. I was just some girl, and he was like, "That's the girl I want." Wow! And I was no, I was doing like Law and Order and stuff. So he basically just—he's the guy that uh, he—he's the one. Yeah. And you liked him. He was nice. We had a very good time. Well, there's a lot of funny people in that that thing. People like that movie. It's a goofy movie. Yeah, I try to tell them I'm not going to take my clothes off, Mm -hmm. and they say, "Well, we're going to go to someone else then." And I said, "Okay." How long do you want? How much tits do you want? Uh huh. And how much did they end up getting? More than makes me comfortable now to think about. <laughs> but is that really that that happened in the audition? That question? No, it happened after they gave me the offer. They said, you know, let's start the deal. You know, I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't. Ha- I didn't know. Yeah. I was just like, am I going to get paid for this? Because that's fantastic. Yeah. Like I just. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so they were like. You need a lawyer to figure out how long your tits are going to be out. So I hired a lawyer and, you know. Is there a guy in, who specializes in that? Did you have to ask your dad? Do you have any friends who deal with tit time? <laughs> like on camera tit time? <laughs> yeah, my dad, no, he's, yeah. That wasn't his forte. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, maybe you had a buddy. No, I remember being like, I need a lawyer to, you know. Negotiate. And then I had to find an entertainment lawyer. Yeah. And so, but that was right after you got the part, they yeah. they dumped that on you. It's like, you're the one, your boobs are up. Yeah, your boobs are up. Uh-huh. And I was like, that is so sexist. And if you really want me, you want me for my performance. So right. what does it matter if, and they were like, no, sorry. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, how much tits? Where do you want my ass? Whatever you want. Tits and ass? I, I you know, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I, I, it's just not good. I think there's a lot in there. But, it, but you've... <laughs> <laughs> they made me go to a trainer. Re- they did? Yeah. They, you mean they looked at your ass and yeah. said, maybe we ought to... Yeah. That's and a tanning salon. 
But was that for the character, though? No. Mm. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> but okay. But so, as it turned out, it yeah. was kind of a goofy character. So there, I was kind of protected. Yeah. So I took my shirt off, but then she was so weird, the character I played, that yeah. it was kind of, I. there was some protection in how quirky she was and right. how... Um, it wasn't completely sexualized. No. Right. It was weirdly... I, I don't have a, a clear memory of the movie. I understand. I'm probably, I have one about as much as you have. Okay. Except, except you were in it, but I mean, if you were watching it, like now you're saying, I don't really know how much time. I'm not sure either, but I believe I'm, I've watched I'm it. I'm comforted to know that you don't that you don't know that. Well, I mean, I imagine if I Googled... Otherwise, I'd be pretty scared. Amanda, Amanda <laughs> right Pete. Now, I'd be like, you know, this has been wonderful. I'm going to get out of your fucking creepy garage now. Now it's creepy? Before no, I was... was a... Yeah, now it's creepy in the scenario that we're just discussing. I'm not going there. It's it's still a nice, happy, warm place. Okay. And then, so that you felt that was your break? I did. It was my break. Yeah. How do you know that? All of a sudden, you're like, who's that All girl? All of a sudden, like, studio executives wanted to have a general and things like that. And then right away, I kind of went around the revolving door of Hollywood and sort of, I did Saving Silverman, and then I couldn't get arrested for a while. Oh, yeah, I remember that movie. Jason Biggs and yeah, yeah. the brilliant Steve Zahn and Jack Black. and They didn't give you anything to work with? The Mean Girl, the right. bitchy... Hmm. You know what? <laughs> what? I'm gonna have to go back into psychoanalysis after this. This is what? No, you're not. You're, <laughs> you're not in it now. No, I don't believe in it. Oh, really? I don't believe in psychoanalysis. Really? What's that based on? My experience. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Didn't work. Yeah. Um, but you felt like you were sort of you were given short shrift in that movie, like you didn't have a lot to work with, or you just. Uh, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying no, you can only be as good as the part, and if you continue to play like, you know, thin roles, right? Where you're just supposed to be, you know, I've talked about this, but if you're just supposed to be lovely, right. or, or you know, seductive. Yeah. It just, people start to wonder whether you're really an act, whether you can really act. They yeah. could be like, oh, you sound natural. Your voice doesn't sound like this. Yeah. You go, but you're, but I have no idea what your capabilities are. Well, you're just like a uh, set dressing, a prop in a way, or just a yeah, generic. An okay. She's yeah. okay. She's like, she's, yeah. How do you, she def- can sound real right. and she doesn't look down the barrel. Great. Let's, yeah. We can use her for that little thing. Yeah, but see, like, but it's weird because I mean, you were you did you did other movies, but like, when, for me, Changing Lanes was a great performance. Well, you're just very sweet, but that thank you. And in Syriana, another kind of detached, weird, great performance. <laughs> like I seem to like you when you're kind of like, man, she's cold blooded. That one. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> like, but then I watched like all of Togetherness, and I was really waiting for that fucking relationship that you were in with. Uh, Zizek. We were, we were going to go there. I know you were. You had to. What's that guy's name? Zizek. Steve Zissus. 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 Yeah, you. Got I love it. that guy. I love that guy too. And Duplass and Melanie. Melanie's been in here. Mark's been in here. We wanted Steve, but I think he was too broken up about the series ending that I couldn't get him. Um, and then like your character, I wanted you, I wanted that show to last because I needed to, I needed that to happen with you and Steve. Me too. God damn it. 
it was a heartbreak for me. I felt like they really passed me the ball. Yeah. And they're like, go ahead and, you know, do your weird thing. Yeah. They were very, um, very trusting. Those dupe glasses? Yeah. They're just like, roll the camera and go. Like, so I tried really hard to, they like, they would even say, go off the rails. Like, yeah. just, you know, so I tried really hard because I love them. So I was nervous to, if I had kept it too tight, I feel like they would have been like, Nah, you're not taking chances. But wait, we didn't talk about that other thing, that that huge... Um, stem? No, stem we covered. <laughs> we, we we got to the bottom of stem. <laughs> no, no, it's important. It's important that teacher was right. But the Aaron Sorkin thing. Oh, Aaron Sorkin, yeah. Like that That guy's notoriously intense. And I actually liked... I, di- I diplomatic like... word. Yeah. But you were in Studio 60 on the Sunset Trip, which yeah. is like... That was going to be a huge show. Yeah. It, it, it was going to be. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's okay. What do you think went wrong with that? Because I remember watching a couple of them. When D.L. Hugo on that? D.L. Mm-hmm. Hugo? Mm-hmm. And it was about sort of based on like behind the scenes of SNL kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And then SNL kind of made their own mm-hmm. with 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what happened? Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm not opening my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were a little bloated with our own bloat. That's, all of us uh-huh. from top to bottom oh yeah maybe self-important maybe yeah overly confident and but like Aaron can write the shit out of things I agree both for good and bad and I, it's a tricky bit of business as an actor to to manage his writing I like him a lot yeah me and too and I find him to be it was my pleasure yeah to get those scene for scene yeah as a you know adult female actress yeah. I don't I would if he said I'm gonna do this thing but I haven't written it yet I'd say where do you want me to sign right yeah he's a he's a, a incredibly talented guy so what what's this new show I talked to uh, Hank you did I did briefly I like him yeah me too and the, he's the, fucking funny yeah he man. was doing some stuff that was yeah really hard for me to behave when I was in frame in terms of not laugh yeah how many did you make? We made, I think we made eight in uh-huh. like three days. <laughs> it's IFC, yeah. <laughs> we were. I know, I had a show on IFC. Yeah, for, I know. <laughs> yeah, you're doing like 12 page days, 15 page I'm days. I'm pretty sure I wrote, I, there were times where I wrote some dialogue, you know, and taped it to something because I was like, <laughs> I don't know which episode this is. Right. I don't know which scene this is. It's tricky. Baseball jargon, me, no bueno. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. High velo era, like all this baseball talk. I mean, I, you know, no. Yeah. A little bit like Frankie's math homework. But you got it though. Yeah. It's weird, right? When you have to do stack shows up and like you're going, how do you, that was the hardest thing for me as a novice actor was to really figure out where was I, the scene before this that we shot three days ago. And then we shot that whole other show in between this one. <laughs> <laughs> like where. How do I, like, I don't think I quite got a handle on that. So what now in terms of writing? Are you going to write another thing? I'm trying. Yeah? It's really hard. Do you write every day? Uh, I was writing every day, and then I thought I was ready to go out with this play that I'm writing, and then David and Dan's friend Craig Mazin, who's a writer, he wrote um, the Hangover movies. He wrote Identity Yeah. Theft you were in that, right? Yeah. He basically told me that it sucked. Your play? Yeah. 
and that he'd be so mad if he heard me say this right now. He didn't tell me it sucked, but he was like, you're, you know what? I'm going to tell you what he said. He said, you're circling something really good here. That's not you sucked. Yeah, but That's it's right. so horrible. No. Why don't you, I, Whose fucking side are you on? Amanda, I'm trying you're to. You're on Craig Mazin's side. No, I'm trying to get you working again. I, I want you to continue writing. That's very and sweet. I think what he's saying is that, um, you know, these things you can't, you know, like this is really good, but I think you can go a little deeper. Doesn't it sometimes feel like, uh, you know, you're at the, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm in a marathon. I'm at the, I just passed the 22 mile mark. And then someone's like, no, that was the 12 mile mark. That was a 12 mile mark. No, I know, I know the feeling, but I think this, it seems to me that for people like us in the ways that we are like that, um, you know, we just want to, you know, you know, we just want to be told we did a great job every time. And, uh, and if, if, if there people are like, it was okay, then it's sort of like, well, why should I do anything anymore? Because like, if you're sensitive and you're creative, like, uh, the, you know, you can easily be derailed. Yeah. And if you can't find it within yourself, especially if, like, the thing about acting or the thing about, um, like, doing stand-up is that you pretty much... I don't understand how you people do it. Well, I mean, but the point is, is that with acting, you sort of, like, you you know, you get a lot of tries, but if you're doing film, but, but nonetheless, you, you sort of do it and then it's done. Whereas, like, you know, writing, you know, in a vacuum where... You don't know if it's going to make it to where you want to make it. You don't know if it's going to sell or it's ever going to be on stage. And it's all you. Yeah, how can you trust yourself? You, you know, to uh, number one, know when it's you know done or good. And then how can you trust other people when you want them to see it? And then if you get one bad note, how can you not spin out completely? Well, I'll tell you something. You know, my husband's a very good writer, and his partner DB Weiss is also a very good writer. And so they, I go through a series of drafts with them and then at a certain point craig mazin the evil dick Uh is the gatekeeper so before i go out into the world with something i'll go to craig mazin because he's so brutal after you run it through the game of thrones machine (laughs) (laughs) you put it through the game of thrones mill and then you 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 pull mazin in and then we pull Mason in. And you tell him that, like, well, you know, knights and things with swords have sanctioned this. It's been coronated. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to go against... He's like, you're really listening to those pussies? Give it to me so I can tell it to you straight. <laughs> well, also, right, that your husband's a little close. Yeah, but he is really brutal, my husband. Really? Yeah. On you? Yeah. About your creativity? About my work, you know. Mm-hmm. Brutal, this but... This is a lazy rewrite. I don't believe this isn't, you know, whatever. Yeah. Hmm. I saw this coming 10 pages away. I don't want to see it coming. You know, this feels like expository. Cut all of this is not funny. But it's funny, but it happened. I don't care. Cut it. <laughs> He's like very... Yeah. And, and how does that play out in the home life? I like it because it makes me actually feel like he thinks I'm in the at the table right so i actually weirdly it's a really big weirdly even when he's criticizing me it's weirdly my ego is okay because i think i really do feel like he thinks i'm at the table and that's so exciting to me that i i yeah 
so when we get out of show business, what are we going to do? What's your dream? <laughs> what if you really don't have to do show business? I I'm just going to be a grandma. Oh, so you can wait it out. I'm just gonna and maybe I'll have another tutor. Uh huh. How about you? What What am I gonna do? Yeah. I I'm just gonna stop and uh, find a place you know somewhere isolated or away. Why? Uh, because I, I do you not like people. No, I do, I do, but like I I just need some space. Somehow or another, L.A. is becoming like New York became. Like there's I'm just I'm feeling kind of fucking like there's too many people, and. It happened to me in New York primarily because of the subway, where there's literally people touching you every day. You know. Do you have germy things? Nope, no germy things. But now when I get on the highway here, I'm like, fucking, there's no getting out of here. <laughs> you know, I'm just sort of like, this is fucking nuts. What about, so what are you thinking? Like Minneapolis? Like a smaller city? New Mexico. New Mexico. I want to believe that I can get like a nice, reasonable place with a little property and a little more space and just sit there and be like, I did it. That's that's the plan. But can you really... I don't know. Okay. What, can you? I don't know. Do you think about it? Yeah. But I think for people, it might be like the tree falling in the forest thing. Like if you can't... What if if Marin falls down in his house in New Mexico? No one's there to hear or see it fall. Did he really? No, fall? it's more like if you do something or say something funny, which yeah. you will. Yeah. Oh, then it's just well, just me and my cats. Or you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know that I have to completely disappear. Okay. But I, I imagine that if I did for a year, I, I don't think I'm not Dave Chappelle. It's not going to be like, "Where's Marin? When's that happening again?" It's definitely going to be like, "Where's Marin?" for a lot of people. Right. Including that psycho out there. Right, that you brought to my house. Yeah, and I hope you're going to keep this part in the podcast because yeah. I didn't occur to me to bring him up, but but Ethan, if you're listening, he works later on. He works for Dave. He he works for David and Dan on for Game of husband. Thrones. Yeah, he's a Game of Thrones. You understand? Fan. He he invited him. He's like psychotically. He's you're it. Okay, well, I'm which pri- isn't to say I don't think you're it, but I feel like I his love for you kind of. Well, I, I, think I, I think I handled it all right. Yeah, you did great. I, did, I didn't let him in the house, though. What would he be doing in there? Looking at your shit. <laughs> taking pictures. <laughs> that was a good call on my part. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I should give him something. I'll look around. It's got to be something in here that I can give Ethan. <laughs> right? See what I do for you, Ethan? Yeah. We're talking to him because you know he's going to listen. Yeah, he, so, he could be right there. Well, no, I understand what you're saying about getting out. Now that we're talking about it, and I'm th- I'm thinking freely. I don't think you're mean, by the way. I, I I threw that out there for you to to say like no, which you did not really, completely. I okay. can be a raging bitch. Okay, Thank just you. ask Ethan. Okay, <laughs> the guy out on my deck. <laughs> this psycho stalker <laughs> on my deck. Who's pacing? Well, I you know it's been great great talking to you. You too. I had a blast. Here. Did you really? Yes. All right. I mean, I'm schwitzing in my schmata. Are you really? Yeah. Is it hot? It's not that hot. I, know, I open but, the thing up. Yeah. That's usually a sign that we got to stop. Okay. Um, I like you very much. I like you too. And uh, I'm glad you're doing funny shows. And I, I've, I've liked your recent work. And the two uh, things that I'm obsessed with where you're kind of mean. <laughs> the one in Changing Lanes. I, I, I want everyone to watch the movie. I think it's the best recovery-oriented movie that I've ever seen. I don't. Do you remember who wrote it? 
Um, it's going to be so awful that I don't because he's hold so Hold on, great. hold on, hold on. Oh, good. I'll, oh, good. I'll let you be like, you know, I'll let you hear what it's uh, Chap Taylor and Michael Tolkien. Yeah. Okay, okay. So do you remember who wrote it? Are you really doing this? Because this part has to be in there that what? you were going to be so sweet that you were going to let me do that. You're the best person ever. Do you want to try? You want to try and do it? We're no, I want now. this whole thing to be in. Right. <laughs> Wait, try it again. Hold on. Let's just no. see if you can act. Hold oh, on. okay. Do you, do you uh, do you remember who wrote it? It's um, um, Chip Taylor and Tuckle Token. Tuckle Token. <laughs> Did you? What's his name? <laughs> Michael Token. Michael. He wrote the player. He yeah. wrote the. He's the greatest. He's great. Yeah. yeah. He's uh, my friend's. Let's, uh, let's try it again. All right. Um, do you remember who wrote it? It was Michael Tolkien. Oh, he's great. He wrote The Player and yeah. uh, some other ones that I liked. Yeah. So let's see if that guy is in my house. Okay, let's go. Let's Thanks. go try to right. Ethan. All right, that was me and Amanda Pete having a nice time. That was a nice time. It was a nice afternoon we had. Uh, again, wtfpod.com slash tour for the tour dates. Use those links, which take you to the appropriate ticket vendor. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you out there. Sorry. No guitar playing today. Oh, it, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. No, don't get upset. I'll, I'll play again. Probably not Monday because I'll be, uh, I'll be uh, recording. You know what? I, I'm going to go. Boomer lives! <laughs>